I'm very excited for game day, so let's go. Let's go, church. That's a pretty weak response, I'm going to be honest. I got more clap. Thank you. Thank you. We're maybe not in the game this year, but there's always next year, okay? And God tells us to hope, so the Cowboys have really tested me on that, but still hoping, still hoping. It just felt right. Well, church, uh, if I've never met you before, my name's Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a joy we can gather together to open God's word, uh, to be guided by him. And uh, as we do that today, we're going to see a story about a relationship between a man and his heavenly father and between a man and his son. And so there's going to be an opportunity for us to be encouraged in our own relationships in our life, and especially those in our family with you know, uh, as if you're a son or a daughter, which we all are with our parents, and as well if you're a parent with your children. And this story is also going to encourage us in trusting God and asking what does it look like in our life to trust God. But I want to open before turning to that passage by talking about Jesus. You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah, and from 2,000 years from the story we read last week, which was Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve, to where we're going to find ourselves today in Genesis 22. There was 2,000 years. And we saw in that story how Jesus was going to crush the serpent. How victory was possible because of Jesus. And in the story we're going to read today, leading all the way up to when Christ came, 2,000 years ago. There was 2,000 years in between Abraham, which we read today, and the coming of Jesus when he lived on earth. God implicitly and explicitly pointed the world to the coming of Christ, the one who could take away sin. And he did come. He came and he lived in a family just like us. And he became a carpenter like his father. And he worked for 30 years. And at age 30, he began his ministry. And he went around and he healed the sick and he healed the lame. And he mentored his disciples who we read about in the Bible that built the church, the church that we're a part of today, the church that's happening across the world in the gathering of his children, of his saints. And he taught. He taught from the Old Testament. He taught what the heart of God was. He read the scriptures and explained what the scriptures said and taught people. He taught people in small groups. He taught people in large groups. But he taught what God said to be true. And as he was teaching, we, it was recorded what he taught. And we have his words in the New Testament that we hold in our hand today. And he pointed out as the son of our creator, as the son of our father, what is true, what is right. And many people loved him for it, but many others hated him for calling them to what is true and what is right. And what nobody debates in history is if Jesus lived and if, if he was really a man that came in history. What people debate is if he really was the son of God, who he claimed to be, that he died and rose again in his Messiah. And you can go to Israel today, and you can go to the places where Jesus was. This is a photo of uh, what's now called Lake Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, which is where you read all about Jesus as he was out on the sea. And you can walk on the same stones that he walked on, and you can imagine where he had that uh, meal with Peter right there on the shore cooking him fish. 
and you can walk in all these places, and there's places where you go, and it's like, this is Peter's house, and we know that that's where Peter lived. Other places, they're not sure where exact thing happened, but everyone knows that he was a man that lived in history. But some people doubt or do not believe that he's, his claim, that he wasn't just a man, he was the son of God sent to save us. And so these people that didn't believe him, they, acclu- they accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of blasphemy for claiming to be the son of God, and they killed him. And he willingly went and died on the cross as the father had guided him to. And he suffered for our sin. And as a holy lamb of God, a sinless, spotless lamb of God, he made it possible for me and for you and for anyone who places their trust in him to be made right with God, to be restored. And we talked about this last week, but going back and picking up, after he rose from the dead, he began appearing to his disciples. And one of those appearances was on the road to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize him as he was there. And they were talking about what was going on and all these events of his crucifixion in the last few days. And they started saying to him, they started saying that the chief priests and our rulers crucified Jesus. And we had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem us. And we read in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 20, in chapter 24, verse 25, that Jesus said back to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart. If there was a word in the Bible that describes me, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that was recorded here in the prophets telling the people time and time again that a Messiah would come and what must happen to him. Verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, because some people believe that what's shared about God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that he's like two different gods are different. But the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, and it tells us in the book of Malachi, and the book of Hebrews, and all over, that God never changes. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial system, which we're going to read a little bit about today, that when, when the people sinned, that they were to make a sacrifice. But their, their belief for forgiveness, for repentance, was not in the animal that was being sacrificed. It was a recognition that sin causes death, death in us, death in this world. And it demonstrated that to them tangibly. But their faith in obeying these sacrifices was in God. That God would be the one to lead them, to guide them, to transform them, to deliver them. And all of this led to the coming one sacrifice for us all in Jesus Christ, the chosen one for us. And so we're going to read today about how Abraham had this opportunity to trust God, to trust in Jesus. And so as we dive into this story, I want to briefly set it up because as we read any passage in the Bible, it's really important that you know the context from what you're reading it. And so we need to go back and see some of what's happened leading up to this moment. And so Genesis 12, 1 through 2 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country 
and show your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So, gen- so God calls out Abraham, calls out Abram, and says, I am going to bless you. Trust me, obey me, and I'm going to bless others through you, making you a great nation. And he was about 75 years old here as we read this, as God calls him out in Genesis 12. Genesis 15, verse 3, Abraham said to God, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir, referring to the son that he illegitimately had with his wife's servant. said, No, your very own son will be your heir, as God had promised him a child. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and the number of the stars. And if you are able to number them. And obviously he wasn't able to number the stars. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, it says he trusted God in this moment. He was about 85 now in this passage we just read in Genesis 15. And anytime you see the word belief in the Bible, or believe, it's synonymous with saying to trust or to have faith. You know, an illustration is you trust the chair, then you would sit in it. He trusted in what God was saying. And it says it was credited to him as righteousness. And God instilled a covenant with him at this point. And later in the chapter in 15, it's the first time where he instills this covenant of sacrifice. And he says, I want you to go and sacrifice a heifer and a goat and a ram and a dove and a pigeon. And Abraham follows like his ancestor before, and he makes a sacrifice. And God begins a system now that would point to one day the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Then we read in Genesis 17, 1 and 2. Abraham was now 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Again, God calls him to obedience, to holiness. And what's interesting is he's 99 years old now, and he still does not have this promised son. And his promise first came when he was 75. Now put yourself in all these little stories that I told you from 75 to 85 to 99 and his wife's around the same age. And he's thinking, yeah, and you're thinking not a lot of women are having children in their 90s, right? <laughs> and yet he, it says here in these passages he was trusting God. He was trusting God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And later in this chapter, uh, God instills the covenant of circumcision with him. And he says, I want all the men in your household to go and be circumcised. And he did this because he wanted them to be a nation set apart, a people set apart to be holy, to do what God said was right, not just to follow pagans or the way of the world. And that every time that they became married and they had children and they came together in relationship, that they remembered that they were to be different. They were to be set apart. It was a physical reminder of who they were to be spiritually before God. We read these stories about God's promises to Abram and about God's faithfulness to Abram. 
but not going to turn to all these chapters right now. But in this, these same chapters of Genesis, we read about Abraham's faithlessness. He comes before Pharaoh at one point, and he's concerned about what's going to happen to him because Pharaoh has so many people, and he's not, not that many people. And apparently his wife was a very beautiful woman, and because the Bible tells us that other places in Genesis. And he was afraid, and so without any question asked, he just offers his wife, without telling Pharaoh it's his wife, he just offers his wife to Pharaoh uh, for her to take his wife as his wife. I mean, talk about a bad date or a bad husband, huh, ladies? You know, you just go out to a restaurant and they're like, you know, they're just passing you off to someone else. Have a nice life. But God gets him out of that situation and says, you know, do not be afraid. And then later on in chapter 20 of Genesis, he comes across another man, another king, Abimelech. And he does the same thing again. You would have thought once would have been enough. And again, without telling this other person, he, he's afraid. He's afraid they're going to take her from him. So he just goes ahead and gives her away. But God appears and gives Abimelech a nightmare and says, do not lay with this woman. She is another man's wife. Give her back. And so he does. And God gets Abraham out of both of those situations. He also, at one point, uh, is talking with his wife. And they're talking about their age. And they're in their 80s, right? And they're, they're thinking, like, she's like, I'm not going to have a baby. She's looking, I'm not going to. And so she says, why don't you lay with my much younger servant? And she's still in child rearing uh, years and and so he says yeah okay and so they think they put it to themselves and this must be the way that God wanted to fill his promise and so she has a son Ishmael which God still uses and redeems but many many problems enter their family because of the lack of Abraham's obedience and despite all of these times when Abraham had fear and did not do what was right and was not obedient this whole time God is still faithful 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 faithful, building him up to be a man that could trust him. And God allows Abraham to see these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that were wicked and to see them destroyed because God wanted to bring his will, his goodness, his ways upon the earth, not wickedness. And so he's beginning Abraham for this purpose in his life to be the father of a nation through his son Isaac that would one day bring the Messiah and would be a demonstration to the rest of the world what God's ways were. So that's where we pick up in the sacrifice of Isaac. And God is going to test Abraham again in a really weird way. He's going to ask him to take his only son, who's been born now, who was just born. This is fast-forwarding again. He was born to Abraham at age 100, and we don't know exactly where this is happening. But, you know, we know that Isaac is not just a little boy. He's maybe 12, 13, maybe 20 uh, we know he wasn't a teenager because then it wouldn't have been a sacrifice for him to sacrifice him. Just kidding. Just kidding, guys. But uh, we love you, teenagers. We know you guys were following God this weekend, and that was really shady for me to throw you under the bus because we have a lot of respect for you. But he wasn't a little kid anymore. He might have been a teenager. He might have been older than a teenager. He was old enough to know what was happening. And He's going to ask him to sacrifice his son, the son that he had waited a hundred years for, his only son. And so that's where we pick up in verse 22, chapter, chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning 
saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Now something that's interesting here is this place that he told him to go to, Moriah, was 50 miles from the location that he currently was at. And he wasn't just going to hop in a Tesla and drive over there or something. He had says that he had to get his donkey and they walked a 50 mile journey. That is aggressive. And what we know from the Bible and from history and from geology is this place that he walked to was the same place where 2,000 years later Jesus would be sacrificed for you and for me. God, the Father's only son. We read in verse 4, on the third day, and catch that, the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And in verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them went together. You can see at this point in Abraham's life, he has seen how God has provided him a son in a very, very advanced age. How God has been faithful to him for many years Despite him not always doing what was right, God has always delivered him and protected him and, and shown his love towards him. And he's trusting in God. And it says that God's going to provide a lamb, reminding us of the lamb to one day come. Jesus Christ, that John 1.29 tells us, is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We continue and read in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. You trust God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wouldn't it be God to provide exactly what was needed at exactly the right time for exactly what he had asked his servant to do? And isn't that how he wants to and does show up in our life when we place our trust in him? And he didn't have to work for it. There the ram was, just caught. Go and get it. And you also see the trust that this young man had in his father. He had seen the sacrificial system. He, he, he allowed his dad to walk 
away and to tie him to an altar. You can imagine the relationship that this father and this son must have had for the son to trust him in that way. His only son. Just like one day, God's only son, Jesus, would be laid on an altar for us. And so we continue to read about this faith of Abraham. Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, by trust, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, which figuratively he did receive his son back. And we conclude this story here in verse 15. Back to Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham after all of this. He called him a second time from heaven. And he said, verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. You see, God had previously tested Abraham with Pharaoh, with Abimelech, with his wife's servant Hagar. And every time he was faithless, God still provided a way and delivered him from every one of those situations. And in this moment that God was preparing him for, Abraham still had a choice. He could have said, that's crazy, God. I'm not going to follow you. But seeing all he had seen about who God was and all the trouble that God went to to give him this son, we read in Hebrews that he's thinking, if God has me killed him, he will bring him back from the dead. I, I don't know what God's going to do, but I trust him wholeheartedly. And he was able to trust God. And able to receive the blessing that God wanted to pour about him, into him and through him, so that he could give that blessing to others. Because God had prepared him for that through all of those trials and through showing up in his life with his love time and time again. And so we see in this passage that we've been reading in Genesis chapter 22 this afternoon, the will of the Father. The will of Abraham, the choice of Abraham, the father of the promised son, Isaac, who withheld nothing from God. He didn't let anything come between him and God in this moment in obeying him. And we also see God the father who has withheld nothing from us. Abraham trusted in the goodness of God. And we know that goodness of God that's been revealed to us through Jesus as well. In the New Testament, 1 John 4.10 tells us, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Hebrews 8.32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Because the Bible tells us that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we think or we ask. He tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and everything that we need will be added to us. Because God wants to show us his love and his provision and is the one who is is ever loving and ever present in our lives and in our story. And so I want to ask you, church, as we reflect on this story between Abraham and God the Father, and between Abraham and his son Isaac, I want to ask us a few things this afternoon. And one of those is, how have you seen God's story, God's love in your life? How have you been like me, sometimes slow of heart, to trust, and you can point to God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness, and God's faithfulness to give you his heart, and his provision, and his ways, reminding you that there is a creator, who were made by God, and he was a Messiah, who has power over life and death, and who has a place waiting for us where there is no sin, and is calling us to trust him every day of the life that we live this side of heaven. Where have you seen God in your life? Because Jesus came to take away your sin. Now when we say that Jesus came to take away sin, it doesn't mean that he went and took our sin and buried it somewhere. What Jesus did in taking away our sin was he was the, the one who could make us right with God to restore that relationship. Not by our works, but by his. If we place our trust in him, that our sins are no longer counted against us. We are made right before the Father. But then, though we have this promise, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, that one day we will be with him in heaven, we'll never be separated from him, sin is still very present in our lives, in this community, in this church, everywhere in this world. But what's different is we have the Holy Spirit, we have understanding of God's word to guide us, we have the victory that Jesus has offered us, and he wants to transform us like only he can. And that's what he means by taking away our sin. He takes away where once we were very angry people. And he comes and gives us compassion and grace towards others where we're unforgiving. And he shows us you need to be forgiving. You need to put yourself in other people's shoes and view them the way that I do. How have I been compassionate to you? Be compassionate to others. And when we were faithless, like Abraham, and making us more and more faithful. And just how God took 25 years to fulfill this promise to Abraham and then tested him later. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? In the story of your life, God wants to get a hold of our heart as soon as we will to say, I will trust you, Lord. I will trust you. Whatever you say, I will trust you. And I hope you trust him. But if you have to walk through further pain because you reject him, God is still there saying, no, turn to me today. So I want to ask us, church, if there's any place in your life where you haven't been trusting, where you've let any sort of sin, any sort of thing or attitude come between you and the Father, how can we surrender that back again to God, to put it aside and say, God, I want to have your heart. I want to trust you. I want to do what is good for me and for others. You know, we also see in this passage not just the will of 
the father Abraham to obey his heavenly father and not just the will of our heavenly father to provide for him and to provide for us the Messiah, but we see the will of the son. Isaac withheld nothing from his dad. His dad asked him to obey a situation that made no sense. No sense. And he did. Have you ever felt God was asking you to do something that was hard? That didn't make sense? So was Isaac with his father and with God. And he was able to trust him. So I want to ask us, church, in our, in our relationships, are we emulating that? Are we being those sorts of fathers and mothers to our kids that they can trust us? And that they see the heavenly father through us? I'm thankful for this example because I have a ways to go. I wrote, I wrote, what am I doing when I'm getting home today? And one of the things I want to do is I want to just keep being a dad. And being a faithful husband. Also, children, are you giving your parents the opportunity to trust them? They're not perfect. But if they're saying things that in your heart you know are right, are you, are you listening? Are you trusting them? I want to share a picture of my father. This was taken uh, just a few months before COVID at my graduation. I was finishing a degree at a the same place of study where my father had finished a degree and it was just a happy moment for me because I remember being a child between the when I was born in Dallas and till I was five we we lived by this school where my dad worked uh, he had a full-time job and he went to school and prepared and and my dad eventually became a pastor and six families started a church and I watched my dad make sacrifices and trust God to do crazy things. He was part of a company that was blowing up at the time. You may have heard of them. They're interstate batteries. They were just starting at that time. They became a global company. And when he received this call to go be a pastor, he took an over 90% cut in his pay. And I remember early on as a little boy watching this church get started and financially the church struggling to turn on the lights and, and anything. And I remember thinking, Dad, you should have kept your old job. You could have paid for everything. And he's like, no. God is going to provide. God, and I watched it. I watched God provide and take care of my parents. God provide and take care of me and my sisters. God provide and take care of the church. I don't have a perfect dad, but I have a dad who, who loves me. I was just uh, up at his house last weekend and arguing over something. Uh, we had a debate about something. And, and I, I walked away and I, I thought later, I'm like, nah, he's right. I had to call him and I had to say, you're right. And even today, I'm glad that though I have an imperfect father, I have a father that guides me to what's true. I want to share another picture. It's a picture of my oldest son, who's now four. But this was taken up within the same week that I had graduated. And uh, he was two months old at this time. This was about four years ago. And we went for a walk one day for about 30 minutes. And he was little, so I just held him just like that. And we were walking outside. And my wife just took that picture as we walked outside. And you notice he's holding on to my shirt. And as a young dad, a first-time father of my two-month-old son, it just struck me that for 30 minutes, my little boy didn't want to let go of me. He just wanted to hold on. And I've watched this as I now have a, almost, he's almost four and his little brother's almost two, how my children just want to hold on. They just want love. They just want uh, to be together as a family. Whenever I'll kiss my wife, my little two-year-old will get all excited. He'll run over and he'll put his arms around both of us. And he'll, he'll, he just loves us to be together. And he just wants to trust. They want us to show up and help them. I've seen this with my boys. They fight a little bit each other. Uh, we're working on that. But even that, we're teaching them how to stick together, the two of them. 
I share these pictures because you too have a father and a mother. And many of you have children. And church, we have the opportunity as we read this story to be like Abraham and to be like Isaac. And to walk in an obedient way, trusting God in the way that we follow as kids, in the way that we love as parents. Because God came to restore us to him and to restore us to one another. John 14, 31 says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus withheld nothing from his Father. And even before... He went to be sacrificed. We read when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked his closest friends, the disciples, stay awake with me, stay awake with me. And none of them could. And he knew what he was going to face, to die a brutal death. And he didn't chicken out because he knew it's what his father wanted. All alone, he was faithful. And I want to tell you, church, I'm not alone. You're not alone. And he knew he wasn't alone because he knew he had his heavenly So church, where is your trust this afternoon in God? Again, like me, I know little things creep in where we stop trusting Him, we stop obeying Him, and we have attitudes that are wrong, or we have actions that are hurtful to ourselves and others. Let us surrender those things back to the Father, as Christ has made it possible for us to do. And as a church, let us come together like this, not about us. Let's come to be edified in his word. Serve one another. We have a place for every, the only way a church works is if everybody contributes. You can go and greet, you can go and help with coffee, you can help with the microphones, you can help with the kids, but I'm here today because I just watched a mom and dad who, that's just how they live. They just said, we're going to be part of a church and we're going to serve and we're going to follow God because we want everyone to know about the love of Jesus and we want to receive the love of Jesus. And they gave. We're called as well not just to gather like this and not just do it at home, but financially to trust God. God says, trust me for your salvation. Trust me to provide for you in every circumstance you need provision. And trust me to financially take care of you. And you'll read in the scriptures. If we want to follow God, you can't pick and choose different things. He says, the first portion of what you get, set it aside. Set it aside for my work in this world, your church that you belong to. And trust that I'm going to provide for you. Recently... I gave something up, and within a week or two, I got this unexpected financial blessing. And it just reminded me, I just, another small moment in my life where I'm like, okay, God, I remember. I remember. You're always going to provide. And then the other thing that we do as a church is we don't just stay here. We trust God by getting in smaller groups. We call them community groups. In the Bible, it just says, and you see in the life of Jesus, they sat together in smaller groups and they studied the word of God. And they were present in one another's lives, loving each other, being disciple makers, pulling people close and passing the word. So let us be those people. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for how it guides us. Father, I pray for both encouragement and conviction this morning. God, I know the ways that my heart has wandered in the past weeks. And you know the way that any of our hearts and all of our hearts may have wandered or have been wandering our whole life. 
And God, we thank you that you are calling us back to you, back to trust in you in all ways. And so would you illuminate to every person here this afternoon any way that they're not trusting you right now, anything they're doing that's harmful? And when you help us to release those things, God, come alongside us and empower us to release those mindsets and those behaviors and to trust you with our whole heart. We thank you for your love for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.